from Vinepair's New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Teeter. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And first, like, guys, I just want to apologize to Nick. Nick, I'm really sorry that I didn't meet up with you in Portland. <laughs> it was, it was, a, it was, a, you know, as it you was, can imagine. It was, it was funny to me how quickly you responded to my message about, like, hey, come on by. Oh, yeah, we'll be there. We'll be there. And then crickets the rest of the weekend. I know. I know, man. What I is just, that, you know, man? A bachelor party is an uncontrollable thing. That's true. And, That's fair. you know, I just, I felt like it would have been like herding cats to get everyone over to this brewery <laughs> and... You know, they, everyone wanted to watch this football game and, you know, I mean, you guys know this, but they didn't realize that, you know, Portland has legal weed. So that slows a lot of people down. So I just assumed that was the point of why (laughs) your brother wanted to go there. Well, I think that is, but I didn't realize, I think a lot of these people hadn't done legal weed and, you know, ever. So Uh like the legal weed is stronger. Oh yeah. Yeah, not yeah. the topic of the of our podcast typically, but yeah, I would I would I would say that's a it's also, you know, I mean, I'll just say this, it's a different feeling when you're not worried about the illegality. I don't know uh how um how much some people have cared about that, but it's a it's a different feeling when you're like this no one's going to get mad at me or arrest you me for this. You can smoke it on the street. Well, you're not really supposed to, no, but no yeah. one cares. <laughs> I mean, well, I smelled it everywhere. Oh, yeah. People were smoking on the street. Yeah. No, they definitely were. I mean, I agree. Where are you supposed do. to smoke just in, the, in your home? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like, I mean, it's a little bit like, uh, you know, it's, yeah, I think that the law says, you know, you're not supposed to Same do this as in like public. Same as container. You're not supposed to like yeah. drink it on the street. But, right? you know, okay. I mean, as as we know from, you know, Nick's favorite beverage, White Claw, part of the appeal is that it kind of looks like you're, you know, you could just be drinking seltzer. And I think with, uh, with, uh, with you know, weed in some cases, it's kind of like, well, what exactly is that person vaping? Do I really know? Right. Um, you know, you're not going to find out. You know, speaking of White Claw, by the way, too, just as an apology to Nick, uh, we have a we have a new T-shirt hitting the store uh, this Ooh. week. I'm definitely not going to check out, Nick. It, uh, it says on the front, I'm dreaming of a White Claw Christmas. And uh <laughs> I think I like you're gonna it. love it. I feel I feel like you need to send him a, a cop a free one <laughs> as a as an apology. I'll get you his, I'll get you his mailing address. Show me your t-shirt size, Nick, and I'll definitely send you a t-shirt. Okay, I've heard promises before from uh, Adam <laughs> too, so we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> oh goodness! Uh, did you have how was how was Kashka since we talked about uh, it on the podcast the other day? What uh, how was your your vodka flight? I thought it was really good. Um, I, I, you know, again, I, I thought that the the vodkas were really cool. It was it was really interesting to to talk about, um, you know, the vodkas with with the people at the party. Like people were like, oh, you know, I've always had crap vodka, and this is really interesting and really cool. It's such interesting too. Like our our podcast about vodka has really kicked off a really big conversation in the industry. So there's a bunch of like really well known mixologists um, who've been posting about the episode, um, and it's been really interesting to see that a lot of them agree with us um, that, you know, for whatever reason, this bias has existed, but that like, it's a little silly that it has. Um, And, you know, trying to find ways to think about how they come at the issue of vodka from a different angle. Like it, and, you know, I've seen some people write about how, for example, they feel like, well, one of the reasons that vodka actually gets overlooked isn't because it's so easy, but because it's so hard to work with because, you know, it's, it adds no flavor. Therefore you really have to build flavor in order to make a really great mm-hmm. cocktail with it. Whereas, you know, as you were saying on the last podcast, right? Like whiskey, tequila, center, they are, they're adding some sort of a base flavor that you're working around, which I thought was really interesting. Um, yeah. you know, and, and it was cool to see some of the best mixologists. I don't want to name check them because they didn't give me permission, but some of the biggest mixologists in the country sort of like having this conversation around this podcast on Facebook was really, was really cool to hear. 
to awesome. see. Well, I, I, yeah. Oh, well, whatever. I'm glad they're. Uh, I'm glad they're listening. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Yeah, and thanks, gals, guys. keep it up. So, um, so yeah. So let's let's jump into today's topic, which I think is really interesting, and comes to us from a reader email. Yeah, we do read these guys. We promise. I was not given permission uh, by the reader to give their name, so therefore I will not. Um, although I do apologize to dear reader if you are listening and you and you hoped that we that I would shout you out. Um, but this reader uh, wrote in and asked uh, Zach and I a question about wine pairings, and basically the the gist of the question was, you know, if you are not wine pairings, you know, as a idea of like should I pair chicken with Pinot Noir or something, but instead. When I go and do tasting menus, so when I so when you're balling out and you have that option to select the wine pairing, you know what is proper etiquette. What do you guys think about this in the first place? And how do I get the psalm to stop talking for so long about each <laughs> glass of wine? Guilty as charged. <laughs> so, uh, in that vein, I think Zach, you and I, just, I'd love to talk just a little bit about um, you know these this idea of the pair the the wine pairing with um, with a price fix menu in general um, and get into this. But I think first, yeah, like the idea of the wine pairing list as a whole, let's, let's jump into that first. Like as a Psalm, is this something people should be doing? Should I take advantage of it? When I, when I sit down at the restaurant and I see someone write down, you know, the tasting menu will be $95 and for a $60 additional supplement, we will pair each course with wine. Is this a good thing for me to do or a bad thing for me to do? Okay, so I have an answer, but it's an answer with two different answers inside it. Of course it uh, is. <laughs> so the first thing I would say is, I think generally speaking that, yeah, this can be a really cool, fun thing. It's a chance to, in many cases, try something new, um, to have a, a taste of wine um, that you may not be familiar with. And that can be a part of the fun of going and doing a tasting menu. I mean, part of the point, I think, that for most of us when we go do that kind of thing is we are surrendering a little bit of control to the restaurant. We're saying instead of picking every last item out that we want, we're going to put ourselves in the hands of the chef and we're going to hope that um, they present us with a, a set of dishes that are interesting, that are different, that maybe challenge us a little bit, that and hopefully also, of course, taste good. And similarly with a, a good pairing list or pairing menu to go with a tasting menu, it should it should do those things. It should maybe expose you to something new. It should maybe challenge you a little bit when, whenever possible. But also, you know, the flip side to this is if you are someone who doesn't care a whole lot about food and wine pairings, if you are someone who knows what they like to eat and knows what they like to drink, and the thought of tasting something that may or may not be your personal preference – that's totally valid. I, I think it's actually unfortunate when people, and I've had this experience plenty of times as a psalm, when people want pairings and then they're like, yeah, but I don't like this and I don't like that. Can I switch these out? And then it's like, well, let's just buy a, get, just get a bottle of wine. That's totally cool. Like we're not going to, I don't care. Um, but it's much, you'll be much happier if you're drinking what you want to drink, regardless of what you're getting food wise. And if you don't want to play the pairing game, then that's not a problem. Like none of, I, I, I would be concerned about a sommelier or, or someone who took offense at that. Like, yeah, maybe you've perfectly crafted this, but like, get over yourself. It's okay. Someone can enjoy a bottle of whatever the fuck they like to drink with the food and that should be okay. That should always be okay. Um, and, and I think, you know, the, the last thing I will say about this, and I think this is probably something that you're going to, you're going to speak to in some specifics as well is the thing though, that a tasting menu has to do, in my opinion, on the food side and the drink side if you are the guest and you are giving up some element of control, 
in return, in addition to novelty, I think you also need to get the perception of value. You have to feel like I am getting more than my money's worth in some way. And tasting menus on the food side, often that's, you know, an extra course or two that's not on the menu. You know, that's always a nice surprise. It's a little something to take home with you after dinner. And on the beverage side, I need to feel like the beverage director was maybe not making their full margin on every last pour because they're sharing cool stuff and it's an opportunity to maybe pour something a little more special because I am laying down 60, 70, 100, $125. I mean, it depends on where you go and, and how much you want to ball out. And if you're doing that, especially at the higher end, like I should not be able to kind of count up the cost of everything I just had and be like, wow, that just adds up to the price of the pairing list. Like I should feel like I got a little bit of a deal because I'm taking a chance. So I hear you and I, I agree with that. But like, so in preparing for this, uh, this episode based on the reader query, I did some polling and talked mm-hmm. to a bunch of people. And so one of the other things that people have said is they feel like when they have done these pairings, it actually feels often like the beverage director or the program is using the pairings as an excuse to move wine they haven't been able to sell on the list. Do you think that's a true thing or that's just us being conspiracy theorists? Oh, it's 100% true. Um, I will say that I, uh, (laughs) I will say that I, that I, uh, wrote a piece that has not yet published for another publication. Sorry. Don't talk about it. You don't Um, work for anyone else. (laughs) Uh, we'll edit that out. Don't worry. Um, that, uh, that where I interviewed, uh, beverage directors and about what they do with sort of the last few bottles of various things. And the tasting menu was one absolutely very common answer for what they did with bottles of wine that they just, they wanted to move. But I want to be clear about something. That, you know, on the consumer side, that may be like, oh, man, really, they're just like passing off wine that they can't sell to me. And, and you know, they're making me drink it. I mean, hopefully no one is passing off wine that is like past its prime or that is not good. I think there's just a natural inclination when like you when you are a beverage director and you have three bottles of something left. You know, it's hard to maybe you know, you've got something else you want to put on the list, whether it's, you know, a, a, some similar wine or something totally different. You know, you have to find a, a way to, you know, you can't just not sell those three bottles, but it's hard to sometimes keep them on a wine list if you have limited space. And um, if you have a, a good use for them in a pairing menu or something like that, I think that's awesome. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. As long as the pairing is good and the wine is good. I think if if you're clearly unloading crap wine or, you know, again, wine that's sad and tired through that, then you're doing a bad job. But that's true no matter what. I mean, if your pairings suck, you're doing a bad job, whether or not the wine is purchased specifically for the pairing menu. So so I think, you know, that to me is a a case where, again, when you do it well, it shouldn't come across as evident that you are trying to dump wine you can't sell otherwise. And if you do it badly, then you've done everything badly, frankly. Do you feel like, I mean, I don't know how many pairing menus you've gotten uh opportunity to have in your life. Um, I mean, this is a real one percenter conversation right now, but like, yeah, seriously. I mean, I, I do feel like for the most part when I have had them, um, I, there definitely has, I think I agree. There definitely has been wine that has been wine that I wasn't so thrilled about. Um, but I kind of feel like as you're saying, like there, there's some really easy fixes there, right? Like just give people a fucking glass of champagne to start the pairing dinner. Yeah. Like it's really easy. You tell them that you're giving them champagne, even though you probably have a great, you know, wholesale cost on it. They're going to think, oh, I already got my money's worth. Yeah. Right. It doesn't really matter what else you pour me. Maybe pour me something from France that sounds fancy or something from Italy that sounds fancy. But for the most part, like if you pour me champagne to start 
especially as you were saying, like if it doesn't come with the actual list, it's like, oh, this is just to start with a small little amuse-bouche from the chef or whatever. Then like, you know, maybe you feel like you're getting your money's worth. But I do have to say, like for the most part, when I've done the pairing list, I have felt like I've gotten ripped off. Yeah. Um, I definitely have felt like, man, I could have just ordered one or two bottles of really nice stuff off the list and I would have had a better experience. But the thing is, I always am still the sucker that goes back to the restaurant and does it again. Yeah. Cause I'm always hoping like I'm going to, I don't know why. Maybe it's like, I just think I'm going to get a better deal or I'm hoping that I'll be surprised. And that gets me into the other like question I have, which is like how much of the list uh, of the pairing is supposed to challenge you? Because I often feel that a lot of times I just get all the safe wines. Huh. And maybe that's because that that pairing is for just the general consumer. But I kind of want you to give me something that I wouldn't normally order. Or am I completely incorrect in that thinking? Well, so I think a good pairing list walks a walks that line um, deftly. So I think a good a good rule of thumb for me when I'm putting together these, and certainly when I'm enjoying them when I'm out, which is you know on special occasions generally, um, is there should be a nice mix of wines that, for lack of a better word or lack of a better way to describe them, show the the guest that we're getting you your money's worth. So whether that's champagne to start out, whether that's, you know, recognizable um, European wines or, or domestic wines from, you know, well-known producers or or wines where someone can go, oh, I have a sense for how much this wine cost. And hopefully, I mean, it also needs to pair. I mean, let's be honest. It's not just about throwing names on a list and being like, these are good wines but I don't know what to do with them in the context of the, the food. It has to work together. That's the point. But but you need to do some of that, I think, to make people feel like they are getting their money's worth and like for the drinker who's not super adventurous or super familiar with a lot of odd stuff. But I also think you do need to throw in a couple of things that are, you know, whether it's an unusual variety or blend or it's a uh, from a less well-known region or a up-and-coming producer, you know, a, a good list should cover to some extent the breadth and diversity of your wine program. It should be in some ways an overview of that. It's kind of like, I mean, the way I've often thought about it is like, this is sort of like a flight of wines from my list. And I'm trying to figure out a way to showcase all the various things we have in some concise fashion that also works with the menu that we're serving. And and obviously different times of year and different foods that may lean in one direction or another, a, a tasting menu in the height of summer may necessarily lean more on you know, sparkling wines, white wines, rosé, light reds, and you're not going to maybe get a lot of, you know, Napa Cabernet because it's not going to generally pair with much of the food that we're tending to eat that time of year that our chefs are going to want to prepare. And in the winter, yeah, you might be getting a lot more like full-bodied red wines because probably the tasting menu is going to have a little bit more hearty, going to have more hearty dishes on it. And that's fine. I think that's generally how most people would anticipate things. I think the other thing that a good tasting menu should do um, and the pairing should do is they should show a certain amount of foresight and and sort of elevated service in the same way that I'm sure you've had this experience, you know, you get something in the tasting menu on the food side that's, you know, really elaborately plated or has a, you know, sort of a, a novelty to it. The wine should, or the beverage program should have that too. And, and one of my big pet peeves, and this has happened to me unfortunately a couple of times, is someone is serving you what should be a really beautiful wine, you know, especially a red wine, more likely something with some tannin that in an ideal world, if you were drinking it, it would have been opened hours in advance. And if you buy that bottle and you order it, you know, as you start, even as you're starting your meal, certainly if you're into your meal, you may just not be able to have that wine with the proper amount of decanting that it should have. But if you're getting the tasting menu and you're there for a few hours and that's you and the the beverage director or the somebody whoever knows, hey, eventually I'm going to get to this wine. 
and you get that wine and they're like, oh, I just opened a fresh bottle. I mean, to me, that's that's one of my huge pet peeves. And obviously, this is like a very niche complaint. I apologize. But <laughs> very it's like, niche. <laughs> but, it, but it is a chance to like – it's in the same way that you would not expect – you know, you would expect that the the food is not going to be like, oh yeah, well we cooked, we actually cooked that two hours ago, but it's just been sitting under the heat lamp waiting for you to get to it. Like the opposite should be true with wine. Like it should, you know, you're shelling out some money. They know, they know that we're going to get to that course eventually. So, so be prepared, you know, have that wine open and decanted and ready as soon as the service starts, as soon as the, the person places the order. Like that's not, that shouldn't be too much to ask, I don't think. And especially if, you know, one of the places I'm thinking of that charged like more for the pairings than they did for the food, which again, sorry, specific experience pissed me off. Um, <laughs> I I will say, though, that to, to come back to the initial question, which was sort of about, you know, should you be challenged or should you not? I think it's good to challenge people in a few places. And and I think it's good to say, hey, maybe we're going to maybe in the course of this, we're going to serve you something that's not wine. Maybe we'll serve you a beer. Maybe we'll serve you a cocktail. Maybe we'll serve you, and maybe we wouldn't serve you cider because we know your feelings on it, but but most people maybe would be served a cider or uh, or you know uh, uh, even a non-alcoholic thing. I mean, I've done that on pairings occasionally where I've served, I mean, again, your least favorite subject, tea. But like, there are times when when it can be one way you challenge people is just by giving them something they don't expect. Um, and I've, and we've even done stuff where like the pairing is more directly incorporated into the dish. It's not a separate glass of something. The wine is incorporated into the, the course itself. All those things can be really cool and can challenge people. But in the end, you still have to basically make people feel like they are getting good food and good wine or good drinks. And they're, again, they're getting more than their money's worth. I think should be a goal with any tasting menu. Because like you said, the the upfront cost is high. And even if it doesn't end up being any more than you might have spent on your own, when you're committing to $125 for food and $75 for wine or whatever, for most people, that's like, that's a big sticker, you know, that's a big ticket item right away. And so you want them to be at ease from the get-go, like, hey, we're going to get our money's worth and then some. Hey, Zach. Yeah. So this answer <clears throat> leads me to the actual question, perfectly segues into the exact oh, question that was asked, like which is when Psalms talk for too long. So <laughs> <laughs> that's what you're paying me for, man. So, what can I say? So that question is, what do you do when the psalm brings the, the wine over and the food is sitting there and they're just talking for way too long about the wine? Oh, goodness. Oh, man. Okay. Uh, my weakest point. Let's see here. Um, Do you just start eating and drinking? Or are you just like, all right, thank you. Thanks, ma'am. Thanks, 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 yeah. thanks, Mr. and Mrs. Um, or, you know, whatever. I mean, <laughs> what do you do? I, I do feel for our I do feel for our listener who wrote this in because I can just picture them, you know, trying to be as polite as possible and just hearing someone kind of drone on and on about you know, the specific uh, specifics of this wine in a way that just is not relevant. So I think, I mean, look, I think it's nice whenever someone is delivering whatever, whether it's the food, the wine, whatever, to, to give a little description to say, you know, this is the dish or here's the wine. And I think if it's the person who has assembled the tasting menu or the, the pairings for the tasting menu, you know, maybe you give 10 or 15 seconds on why you picked it. If, if, the, if the people seem interested, I mean, look, service professionals should be adept at reading a table. And if the table at the beginning of the meal seems not super interested in your elaborate explanation for why you have paired this wine with this food or this drink with this food, then maybe take that as a cue and be like, here it is. Let me know if you have any questions. You know, that's always a great way to sort of allow the guest to um, 
engage with you if they choose to, but if they want to, if they're on a date, they're on a business meeting, or they're just not interested in all the shit you know and, and can't wait to spew at them, then that gives them an easy out to say like, oh, thank you. Yeah, we'll let you know if we have questions. Um, so I think, yes, yes, it's true. Um, some of us like to you pontificate. Do. You do. Some of us host podcasts for that very reason. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Like to talk a lot about stuff that maybe some other people don't really care about. Yeah, uh, that was actually the uh, initial topic for their initial uh, um, podcast title idea for this episode. But um, we will uh, we'll we'll come up with how to talk stop people from talking about things that they don't care about. Yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like <laughs> I feel like we've uh, we've we've reached the uh, the part in the tasting menu where um, you get the like uh, you know yeah the little cookies or whatever to go, and they're like okay politely it's time. Yeah, to like leave. here's a little cookies uh, and, and some dessert wine. <laughs> Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, exactly. And a, and a muffin for the morning. I do I do agree with you by that. By the way, I think that's an amazing point. Like that those have been when I've when I've had the 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 privilege of being able to you know do a tasting menu. Um, that is always the thing that's like so amazing is. That that take home, you're just like, wow, you made me a muffin for tomorrow. I'm definitely gonna eat this tonight. But you made me a muffin, <laughs> maybe for on tomorrow. my way home. Yeah, which is terrible because like you're usually super full. Yeah. Um, unless it's omakase, and then I'm always hungry afterwards. Yeah. Wow, this is such a one percenter episode. Uh, um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I, I think these are these are all really good, really good points. Um, you know, and I hope that um the listener that that sending this question we answered your question about tasting menus um and i hope this is also a lesson to all other readers to please send us in um ideas for topics you'd like us to cover because we definitely um read every email that you send um even if we don't have time to respond to all of them and we definitely you know talk about them to each other and think about them for future episode ideas so thank you so much this is uh this has been really interesting one last question i do have you uh zach as i am thinking about it so Going back, back, back to our episode a few weeks ago about, you know, the psalm and uh-huh. its presence in restaurant reviews or not. If I am paying for the the wine pairings, should I have the expectation that the head psalm or beverage director if they have it on the floor should be the one presenting those to me? Because I definitely have been at dinners where sometimes all not all the pairings are presented by any psalm at all, but – also not the head psalm or is that just like no no you definitely shouldn't get into that expectation i think what i would say is like all things this a little bit depends on some specifics so if it's a sizable restaurant and most people are getting the tasting menu then the odds are pretty good that you're not going to get the head sommelier every single time i think they should you should absolutely see them they should come to your table a couple of times like that's their job is in part just to be the person there, especially, you know, like, frankly, if they are a relatively well-known industry professional, whether they get mentioned in reviews or not. And and that should be a, an expectation, I think, that is fair to have. But it's also the case that they may be busy doing lots of other things, hopefully, like, opening my Nebbiolo hours before I'm going to be drinking it and such. And, um, and they may not have time to necessarily do every last pour at every single table. That can get very, very difficult to manage. Um, Unless it's a a restaurant that is, you know, maybe there's a, you know, the 1% of the 1% of the 1% where they have enough staff that like somehow the head som is able to do that. I I commend those places. I don't know how they manage it, um, although I know some of them do. But I think it's, it's certainly valid that anytime you're spending a decent amount of money on something like pairings, that whomever is delivering them or pouring them at the table 
should be able to talk about them in some meaningful way. And if they can't do that, then then again, they're not delivering on their promise as a part of the service and expectation that you reasonably should have as a um, as a diner. And, and you know, that's an important thing to take note of and, and maybe don't do what Adam does and keep going back anyhow and hoping it'll get better. <laughs> you know, there's always another place. There's always another uh, tasting menu out there. I certainly know. I see lots of press releases about them. Um, and I would say, you know, yeah, I think you should absolutely expect to interact with the the titular head of the wine program if they're there that evening. They're not there every single night. So you may miss them on occasion. It happens. Um, but but generally speaking, yes, they should be at your table a couple of times a night, if not more, but maybe not every single time. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, Zach, this was really uh, interesting. Um, thank you again for the question and thank you everyone for listening. Please remember to uh, leave us a review, um, You know, whether it's on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. It really helps people discover the show. And Zach, I'll talk to you again next week. And Nick, when you come to New York, we definitely will hang out. <laughs> I believe you. Nick's back on board. That means we can end the episode. Thanks for listening to VinePair. We'd love to hear what you think. Feel free to drop us a line at podcast at vinepair.com. And if you really love the show, we'd love if you rate it and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Reviews and ratings really help other people discover the show. Now for the credits. VinePair is recorded in New York City at VinePair headquarters and in Seattle, Washington at Cloud Studios. Our engineer is Nick Patry, and the show is produced by Zach Jawal and me. Our show logo was designed by Daniel Grinberg. Special thanks as well to the entire VinePair staff, including but not limited to my co-founder, Josh Mallon, and our editor-in-chief, Emily Saladino. Thanks so much for listening, and see you next week.